We have updates on the talks between the owners and the players union, and we'll dissect the schedule that may come out of a proposed plan. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had the three O-Brews yet. It works great in a fantasy. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, May 13th. I'm Al Melchior, and I'm here with Derek Van Riper and DVR. I don't know about you. I spent a good chunk of today uh, refreshing my Twitter feed, waiting for uh, any sort of news from this uh, presentation that the uh, MLB owners were making to the Players Association. And uh, you know, fairly late in the day, we got some updates, and uh, th- there were not really any any major developments there. Uh, there was uh, no economic proposal made to the Players Association, and the talks, uh, according to a tweet I saw from John Heyman, really centered around health and safety issues, which you know maybe doesn't give us much to talk about here, but to me is actually a, a very positive sign that that's that's where they started off. Yeah, I mean, I think if you can't ensure the health and safety of players and team personnel and employees and everybody involved in making baseball happen, then going through the rigors of economic negotiations over contracts probably isn't worth the time. I mean, these two sides have had a pretty, let's say, uh, checkered history of working things out. So... You know, let's make sure that there's even a safe path to do anything before worrying about money. Um, I think we're probably still at least a few days away from getting a big marker in progress between the two sides as far as anything economically goes. But I think it's all just kind of up in the air like it has been for the better part of two months now, Al. It's, it's one of these things that it feels like we're getting closer and yet we don't have enough tangible milestones to look at to say we're actually only a month away or we're actually only two months away. You know, it's all sort of wishful thinking at this point. No, it absolutely is. And, uh, you know, a lot of the discussion that's going on in our community, our fantasy baseball community is sort of taking cues from these uh, bits of the proposal that have been, been publicized and, you know, sort of ramping up an expectation that baseball is coming back. But uh, I would agree absolutely with what you said that we're first of all, probably, not on the immediate verge of getting any kind of news about what that might look like, much less you know that anything is going to happen for a 2020 season. So we're we're certainly in a holding pattern, and until uh, a lot of these important details get worked out, uh, that's that's really how it should be. Uh, we do have a couple of other updates. Uh, one from uh, Ann Ryman of the Arizona Republic. Uh, she reported that uh, the governor of Arizona, Doug Ducey announced that Major League Sports can resume in the state of Arizona after May 15th. And, uh, you know, as of <laughs> we're talking right now, that's that's just three days away. So uh, that certainly clears the way for Major League Baseball to play games in Arizona uh, without fans, of course. But at least that's one, one little uh, hurdle that is potentially cleared. And uh, sort of in the other direction, uh, it's expected that Los Angeles County is going to extend its stay-at-home order for three more months 
But according to John Heyman, uh, Major League Baseball doesn't see this as a big hurdle because the uh, the Dodgers, who of course are the only team that play in LA County, um, you know, they could uh, find another home uh, for whatever portion of the season coincides with the stay-at-home order. But uh, DVR, what I'd like to do is actually talk about the the proposal that, from all reports, is the one that seems to be on on the table, and that is this the scheme where. Teams are going to play as normal, other teams in their own division, but then instead of playing the other teams in their league as the the bulk of their schedule, uh, they're going to be playing teams in the corresponding division in the opposite league. So you have NL East playing the AL East teams when they're not within their intra-divisional schedule and so on. Um, so yeah, this may be a mood exercise. We're a long way from really seeing anything final, but since this seems to be the direction that we're headed, I think it's it's worth looking into. And I'd like to start that by looking at the central divisions because it's long been a truism that playing the, the teams in the AL Central, with the uh, recent exception of the Twins and the Indians, that that that's been you know that's been a nice schedule. But I wonder have have the uh, the White Sox improved enough? That that's that the balance is now maybe more towards that being a neutral or maybe even a difficult schedule for the uh, NL Central teams. You know, I think it's easier, relatively speaking, if you add the AL Central into the NL Central because in the NL Central you have four out of five teams that are built to potentially make a playoff run. I think you have four playoff caliber teams in the Cardinals, the Brewers, the Cubs, and the Reds. I think at best you have three in the central and that is if you count the White Sox as a playoff caliber team. And I think they're more of a 500 sort of team, but in a year with a shortened season being a 500 caliber team on paper, factoring in the increased variance of a shortened season, you could see it happening. You could see the White Sox making the playoffs. They might've been kind of a fun uh, long shot to make the playoffs in a full 162 this year with all the improvements that they made. They've got young talent graduating to the big leagues. They have an injured uh, young starter and Michael Kopech coming back to the rotation. They added Yasmani Grandal to the equation. Edwin Encarnacion. They could bring up Nick Madrigal. So top to bottom, they could have one of the more complete lineups in the American League. And they do have a nice mix of, of pitchers to you know, potentially give them an above average rotation. So Long story short, I think it does make things slightly easier for those NL Central teams, but not as easy as it would have been if this had happened in 2017, 2018, or 2019. So, you know, somebody who obviously follows the Brewers very closely, do you view this as enough of an uptick that as uh, you're going to re-rank players and, you know, reassess uh, value, um, that that's something that's worth taking into consideration for a team like the Brewers? I think it's probably in line with some of the things we've talked about before, uh, similar to perhaps if the Blue Jays were to play their home games in Dunedin, Florida this year, you know, maybe you're a little more comfortable there than you were at Rogers Center. And even that is a, a reasonably small upgrade if you even decide to go that route. So a slight bump, maybe the kind of thing that would break a tie between two previously uh near ranked players, but I, I don't think there's a, a massive windfall. I mean, I think it's just a few more streaming opportunities that that come along with the schedule being built that way. Uh, well, let's shift over to the West because uh, in, certainly the uh, AL Central is the first place I, that I went to uh, in terms of looking at how that could affect a, a, another team's schedule. But um, 
Ale West is sort of interesting because I, I don't typically think of that as unusual in any way in terms of the composition of the teams or the composition of the venues. But I decided to look at park venues, um, park factors rather, I'm sorry, uh, over the last three years and see if there was any division that really stood out as being particularly favorable or unfavorable. And particularly with the, the Rangers moving into a new park, we don't know how it's going to play, but there's a possibility that that's a, a park that maybe is a little bit more advantageous for pitchers than uh, than the old park. And as far as the other four teams go in the AL West, I mean, they they range from the the A's and the Mariners to being, you know, uh, pitcher friendly or at least on the the pitcher friendly side of neutral to um, the Angels and the Astros ballparks, which are you know not great in terms of containing home runs, but overall. Uh, neutral at worst for pitchers. So, you know, that's that's a ballpark that for pitchers in the NL West, that might be something that actually, uh, you know, helps them uh, lower their ERA a bit. Yeah, I mean, the NL West, if you, you look at Colorado as the extreme, terrible place to pitch, of course, Dodger Stadium, especially with uh, high drives, is uh, becoming a more hitter-friendly environment in recent years. Otherwise, San Diego, San Francisco, and now Arizona with the Humidor, you got three either neutral or pitcher-friendly parks and then a very hitter-friendly park at Dodger Stadium and an extremely hitter-friendly park at Coors Field. Uh, it's still a, a pretty good division overall for pitchers if you're going to add in the five AL West parks. And we've talked about Texas a few times. The new ballpark in Arlington has a roof. If you're going with the climate-controlled game in Arlington instead of a July game where it's 95 with very high humidity you're most likely creating a more pitcher-friendly environment than the one you used to play in. So uh, it's one of those things where I think it's it's pretty interesting to think about things being easier for Dodgers pitchers this year. But <laughs> yeah. here we are. I mean, I, I think you could make that case. Yeah, and I think maybe it has an impact uh, for some of the, the Giants pitchers who you might think of as just simply home streaming options, and they've got a few more road options that make uh, those starters look more attractive. Um, and Rockies pitchers, you know, more road venues, uh, maybe to balance out uh, the difficulty of obviously pitching in Coors Field. Something, too, I think that's going to be really interesting, and I, I don't want to spend too much time on this or go too deep into it because, frankly, I haven't looked at it enough. But we've talked a little bit about air density effects uh, on some previous episodes of the show. It's something I wrote about a lot in the 2019 season. And when you add in the AL West to the NL West, you're, you're going to have some, some whiplash in terms of conditions that pitchers and hitters are, are going to be playing in because you got uh, not only Colorado, but Arizona, which, yes, with the humidor, plays a little bit more neutral than it used to, but uh, it's the air is still very thin in Arizona. And then you're going to be having hitters going from there to places like Oakland and Seattle, which have some of the densest air in the entire major league. So I think there could be some uh, you know interesting... Uh, opportunities to to take advantage maybe in daily lineup leagues for um, you know those kinds of swings. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really interesting twist that I certainly hadn't thought about, but it's it's right in your wheelhouse to uh, <laughs> to account for that. So I'm glad I've got the early heads up to consider that as a really important factor as as the new travel potentially uh, gets underway. And you know it's it's funny because I I did a few drafts the last few weeks we talked about the triple crown auctions there was an NL only one there was a mixed one and in the mixed one which is the first of the three there really there wasn't a lot of money 
uh, there was a lot of interest, I should say, in Rockies pitchers, even though at that time we were wondering if the Arizona plan might come to fruition. And by the time we got to the NL auction a few weeks later, there was definitely a bump in pricing on Rockies pitching with the thought that this season might be different and they may not have to contend with Coors Field. And I don't think anything uh, like the differences in air density between the parks was part of the analysis yet. But it just reminds us of, of how we're in that choose-your-own-adventure mode since so much about this season is still unknown. We're left to take our, our best estimates of what the environments might look like, what the schedules might look like, and try to find ways to uh, create pockets of, of, of profit if we're going to draft a team or auction a team at this point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, right now we're, we're just sort of spitballing with one particular scenario. But again, this is one that's been indicated by uh, several reports in the last few days. And perhaps later this week, uh, maybe more likely next week, as I, I think you were suggesting, DVR, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have a, a more refined idea of what direction this is going to go in. Um, on that note, uh, let's get to the featured read today, uh, and this is uh, we're doing back to back Nando Defino here because Nando's uh, writing a lot of really great stuff, uh, and so we've got another piece from him that really it's in the same vein. He's looking at the possibility of the universal DH. And so he's got a piece, Adjusting ADP, Eight Players Whose Values Go Up If the NL Has a DH in 2020. And DVR, you made some contributions to this uh, piece as well. So Nando isolated those eight players, but you you added some bonus tracks uh, to the album. So uh, we've got uh, Matt Carpenter and Gavin Lux as a couple of picks of yours, players who you think uh, have value increased. I'm a little bit curious about uh, Matt Carpenter, I think, is, is a, you know, that's a pretty self-explanatory pick. And actually, uh, Michael Beller and I talked about him on on the show uh, yesterday as somebody who's uh, tearing up the uh, Stratomatic sim so far this year. But Gavin Lux, did, were you just not anticipating that he was going to be an everyday player this year? I think with Gavin Lux, there there's this possibility if you had a normal size roster that the Dodgers could do with him what the Astros did to Kyle Tucker last season, even though he looks like he's more than ready to hit in the big leagues and could have a very prominent spot in the lineup by the end of the season. Uh, you could see a scenario in which AJ Pollock, in part because of his contract, would be playing a lot more in the outfield than expected, and that might bump Cody Bellinger to first base, and then that would bump Max Muncy over to second base, and then suddenly you're wondering, well, what are we doing with Gavin Lux if we're not playing him every day? I was fearing that. I think when you give the Dodgers one more hitter, you really remove that concern. I know there's some other interesting depth players there that they could ultimately use to get a little more playing time, but I think the playing time floor for Gavin Lux is bumped up with that DH spot because they can they can make one more regular fit in the lineup. I think the bigger question now with Gavin Lux is where does he settle into the Dodgers lineup? If he begins in the bottom third, does he stay there all season or is he a candidate to possibly you know, take over that leadoff role, at least against righties, because that was a role that Jack Peterson held for all of his starts in 2019. Uh, that's an interesting possibility and definitely one that we need to pay attention to. And I, you know, I certainly think that as you laid out that situation that, uh, you know, you can imagine that Chris Taylor gains a little playing time, Enrique Hernandez, maybe Matt Beatty, but of, of all that group, Lux clearly has the highest upside. I think clearly has the most appeal as somebody who gets their their playing time reinforced. So 
in that context, yeah, I could see why you would have added him to the list. Makes makes a lot of sense. So uh, check out Nando's piece. Find those uh, eight other players. Uh, some interesting calls uh, by Nando. You could probably guess one of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to spoil it, but I think the first player he wrote about is exactly the type of player you'd expect him to cover. And uh, somebody that DVR probably will watch a lot if uh, if there's baseball this year. Um, I'll leave it at that. Uh, so on that note, we're going to wrap things up here for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash baseball in 15. And yes, we are still running the 90-day free trial, so you can go that route as well. And when you have a subscription, it includes everything that we do. It's everything for fantasy, fantasy football, of course, coming up, uh, hopefully uh, from the MLB arena, all sports, uh, every things in there. And if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be right back here on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs>